Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film Podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into Aladdin in today's review episode. I can show you the world. Just take a look through my eyes. Coming to you guys uh, a day late on today's episode, but I'm getting it. I'm getting it. We're back on schedule starting tomorrow, and uh, hopefully for the foreseeable future. Aladdin is the newest Disney live-action remake. Uh, we already had Dumbo earlier this year, which was not good, and we still have The Lion King forthcoming. Uh, there will be a Maleficent sequel this fall, I, I believe. Uh, you know, there's many, many others in, in the wings waiting. And these have had a very mixed uh, reception since we started to get them. Uh, back when, what is it, Cinderella or Alice in Wonderland was one of the first ones. Uh, they typically make a lot of money. Uh, um... Dumbo didn't really make a lot of money. I don't think Cinderella made too much money, but most of them have been very, very successful. Beauty and the Beast was incredibly successful. Uh, the Jungle Book, incredibly successful. Aladdin looks to be quite successful, opening to about $112, $115 million over Labor Day weekend. Memorial Day weekend. Memorial Day weekend. Uh, so lots of... I mean, financially, I mean, we all kind of know why this is happening, but from from a quality standpoint, from a nostalgia standpoint, what is this sort of uh, nostalgic renaissance of, for Disney giving us? And, and what is the point of it? Is it worth it? And, and how do these movies ultimately shape the landscape for, for cinema, both from, from a Disney perspective and, and from everyone else's perspective as well, as a viewer, as a consumer, as a uh, as, a, as a producer, as a company, I'm generally happy about all of these movies coming out. I, you know, love m almost all of them uh, as the or their original animated versions. I think the only ones so far to have improved upon the original is Jungle Book, and the rest have been uh, steps down. But uh, a step down from from movies that you love is generally not, you know, It's not necessarily a, a bad thing at all. It's, you know, if you have a ten out of ten movie that they remake and it's an eight out of ten movie, sure, it's kind of a letdown, and you know, maybe you are kind of attached and beholden to the original, but the new one isn't bad as an eight of eight out of ten. It's not. You know, it's not trash, it's not a garbage fire, and I think there's so much that they have the opportunity to do and, and the ability to uh, create with these live-action remakes that I'm generally excited to see, you know, what they choose to change, what how they choose to represent things that seem so easy with animation but are very difficult to portray in live-action. And speaking to Aladdin specifically... Some of those things are the genie. And when the first trailers, the first images came out of Will Smith as the genie, there was a ton of backlash. I thought it looked bad, 
but I didn't watch the trailer. I only had a still image that I really couldn't avoid. And it didn't look great, but, uh, you know, when it's not moving, a lot of effects don't look great. And I wasn't really reserving my judgment. I definitely was judging uh, the genie at that point. And I didn't know that I didn't expect them to have enough time to go in and change anything. And I don't know if they actually did or not. But when we actually get to the movie, Genie's pretty good. Uh, the effects are spotty. Uh, you know, there's still definitely some ooh, bad moments uh, and and poor visual elements in the film. But Genie was generally good. Uh, I think as a blue person, and and Will Smith is okay. I, I think he's much better in his human form. But the genie was far and away not at all the worst part of this movie and, and may even, in fact, be the best part of this movie. And I think a lot of that has to do with Will Smith as probably the most experienced actor in this cast, question mark. Um, I think so. And not that, you know, that's a necessarily a bad thing. Will Smith's been acting since the early 90s, so you know, almost uh, probably 80s even, so about 30 years. So, you know, obviously, you know, he's not only an actor, and that wasn't always the thing he's known for, but he's got, he's got plenty of years of acting under his belt and um, certainly has had, his, had his fair shares of ups and downs in that arena as well. But the movie relies on... Uh, a lot of other characters, and many of them, I think, fall immeasurably short uh, for me. And this is a movie that hinged, you know, it's one of the few Disney princess movies that is far more about the quote-unquote prince than it is about the princess. And this live-action version tried to balance the scales a little bit. Uh, we get a whole new song for Jasmine to sing. We get a handmaiden for Jasmine, adding a new female character to the cast. We get uh, a, an elevated role for her, Jasmine, uh, in relations to her father and Jafar and, and that whole situation. And I, I really did like all of those changes. I think the song is good, but the song doesn't work with the movie. You know, you look at Friend Like Me and Prince Ali and Arabian Nights and A Whole New World, and, and they all feel fantastical they all feel magical and and they fit this this world where there's a genie and a magical lamp and a flying carpet and and uh, uh, so on and her song speechless i i love it and i've been listening to it since then but it, it fits it works so much better as a song than it does as a musical number in a movie it is kind of a showstopper it is uh you know a big pop ballad type of a song and that doesn't really have a place in a movie like Aladdin. Now I don't know what they could have done to fix that or how they could have adjusted um, the tone or the tune or the melody or whatever it would be to make it fit in a movie like Aladdin. But as it stood, um, as much as I enjoyed the song, I don't like the way it is the way it fits into this movie. So, but other than that, I was really pleased with what they did with Jasmine's character. I thought, you know, she is one of the weakest 
princesses from a writing standpoint in just the fact that like she gets very little screen time. Uh, her entire plot line revolves around uh, being given out, given away at, for marriage. Um, she is essentially for many of much of the movie just kind of tugged back and forth between various male characters. And, and that's kind of shitty, I think. I think that's really disappointing for her and, and for her character and for women, girl, little girls who, who look up to her and, you know, kind of, you know, see her and, and see her in themselves. And, and in the early animated movie, you know, that was probably my biggest fault with it. You know, I think Aladdin in the original animated movie was really well characterized and, you know, the street rat becomes a fake prince, you know, rising to perhaps his destiny is an interesting plot line. And they give him a lot of shades of gray and Jasmine doesn't get most, get most of that. So in this movie, I thought, while not perfect, they did manage to give her a little more agency. Um, they gave her uh, more development as a character, a better arc from start to finish, and um, did it, went a, it went a long way to improving her character and uh, her relationship with you know, her father and with Aladdin and, and so on and so forth. Now, Aladdin, as I mentioned, um, is fine. Uh, what's his name? Manam Asad. Uh, he did okay. I had my had my reservations about him, but I thought he did a decent job. I think um, he's definitely got a nice voice for the singing for One Jump Ahead and um, Whole New World. But he came across, I think, a little too callous when he when it, when Aladdin makes that shift away from you know kind of a do good character into this sort of selfish. He gets absorbed by power when he has the lamp, and I mean, you have to have that moment. I think that moment is very key to his character and to his uh, redemption at the end, but it does, I, I think he turned a little too hard in this movie. I think the, the the emotional component in the animated version did a much better job of kind of, you know, he's not a dick, you know, he's not a jerk about it, right? He's just absorbed by the power of the lamp, the power of the genie, and, and being able to control him. And I think in the original animated version, which I haven't seen in a long time, so a lot of this is a little hazy and fuzzy, but in the original version, from my memory, he definitely succumbs to the power, but he's still... There's, enough, there's a little, still a layer of charm to him when that is happening, and... You know, it's definitely a disappointing turn when you're the genie and, you know, he'd already promised, you know, hey, my third wish, I'll set you free. And now he's like, well, I don't think I can do that anymore. But in this movie, it felt like, nah, nah, like, screw you. I'm, you know, it's me now. And I think that it's a little too hard of a turn. Um, and I don't, I think it's a little too pushed too far in that direction because, there are moments, those moments specifically, he kind of feels more like a villain in that moment than Jafar feels in almost the whole movie. And I let's let's get to Jafar. Let's get to Jafar. Jafar in the in the live action movie is a lot younger. Um, he is 
one of the few characters, one of the one of the main characters in this movie. So I knew Naomi Scott, um, J- Jasmine. I, I recognized her name. I've seen her in other things. Manam Asad as Aladdin. I was not aware of, and uh, Jafar as Marwan Kanzari. It's another actor I'm not familiar with. Um, then you've got Sultan, the Sultan as Navid Negaban, who I am familiar with, and I have seen him before in other things. Uh, but, yeah, I haven't seen Marwan Kanzari before that I'm familiar with, at least. But apparently he's been in a bunch of things that I've seen, like um, Murder, on, Murder on the Orient Express, The Promise, um, he was in the most recent Mummy version movie, a uh, movie from 2016 called Collide, and a bunch of other things. So apparently he's been in a lot of stuff. I just do not recognize him whatsoever. He, uh, for my money, was the weakest part of the movie. And I don't have a problem with them changing the age of Jafar, but I think part of the original movie, the animated version, uh, played against Jafar's age. And, you know, there is a side plot in a portion of the film where he is... Um, kind of forcing or uh, or exerting his power to cr- make Jasmine marry him, right? And I think that that moment has a much better emotional impact, a much better um, uh, social commentary when Jafar is old, right? Uh, and in this movie, he's relatively young. He's as you know fairly young and it doesn't you know i'm sure you could do the math and and make it work out but you know in this movie he's the most trusted advisor to the sultan so i don't know how long it took him to get to that position or why he got to that position Uh, but if he's old i think that makes more sense because then he's got more experience he's young in this he also casually mentions he was in prison for five years uh in this movie i don't know if that's true in the original but he looks like he's 30, maybe early 30s. Five years, uh, that's like a sixth of his life. Um, and you couple that with the fact that who knows how long it took him to get the staff that he has, to become the advisor to the sultan, to you know rise through the ranks. You know He claims in the beginning of the, at one point that he used to be uh, just like Aladdin, a street, street rat, a thief. So that makes it even more difficult for him to have risen from that low, low status to the high status he now holds. It just, <clears throat> there, there are just moments like that in the movie that it kind of pulls me out a little bit because now I gotta do the mental math of, he looks like he's 32, how did he have the time to do all these things and still manage to, you know, find time to figure out the cave of wonders and, and require to get you know get in there and figure out about the lamp and a lot of things are glossed over in the movie and I think the same is true in the animated version but the more the more you make me think about them the more they unravel and I think the animated version did a better job of just stating things and moving right past them whereas I think in this version especially with Jafar they, they, they hammer home a couple of things about him in this movie that really cause you to question, like, wait, what? How is that possible? Or, you know, the younger he is, the more 
you know, puzzling it is that he's able to have accomplished all the things that they've apparently said he's accomplished and, and whatnot and so forth. Now, as an actor, uh, Marwan Kanzari, he's, um, he's not good. He's not good. There are a couple of moments I thought he, he pulled off the malice uh, a little bit. He was kind of amping it up for the camera. But a lot of the times, it, I think when he's trying to be malicious, he's trying to snarl, he's trying to, you know, be aggressive and, and, and abrasive to the people around him, he really comes across as adult. I don't know, his face just kind of goes blank in a couple of scenes, especially close-ups on him, and he just, like, he does a wide-eyed stare, and he does it a couple, a few times throughout the movie, and I just, I did not buy it what at all. I did not buy that. I thought it was really unconvincing. I thought he does a terrible job of being Jafar. He doesn't, I don't know. There's a scene in the animated version where he, like, turned into a giant snake, if I'm remembering correctly. That doesn't happen in this movie. I think that would have been cool. Um, I don't know. I, I just really felt like... I, I just really seemed like he, he was not in the same movie that everyone else was. You know, Will Smith absolutely knew what movie he was in. Even Manam Saad knew what he was doing. Naomi Scott, I think the same is true. Nassim Pedrad as Dahlia, the handmaiden. I thought, you know, Navid Nagaban. Billy Magnuson, for sure. Like, they all knew what movie they were in. And I think Marwan Kanzari was just a little off-center <laughs> with, with what his uh, understanding was. I don't know if he was being too serious. I don't know if he was being too campy. And it's tough to tell, because I think at various points in the movie, he's one way, and other points he's another way. And... I think the direction for his performance was just not there. It just did not exist. Um, so he was by far the thing that dragged this movie down for me. Outside of that, so outside the performances, outside the characters, you know, uh, the movie tries to be, out, you know, excluding the the elevated role for Naomi Scott, mostly a, a shot-for-shot remake. You know, it tries to, it recaptures many of the scenes that are happening in the original. All the songs are still there. Um, and I think for the most part, it does stay true when, when as much as it can. But there are times where I think the technical elements of the film get in the way. And so... I mentioned the special effects, and there are definitely a lot of green screen shots in this movie that do not look good, especially flying on the carpet uh, in the Whole New World song. Uh, there's some really bad moments in that. But there's also um, a lot of just just poor staging, poor poor cinematography. Like, the shot composition in these movies is, is, is garbage. Uh, it's, you know, when you're doing this, these, some of these move shots and some of these sequences from an animated standpoint, you can out, you know, you can literally put the camera wherever you want in an animated movie. That is one of the huge benefits of it being an animated movie. You can't do that in a live action movie as easily, um, and sometimes at all, but 
I think Guy Ritchie, who directs this movie, and I still think he was not a great choice to do this, um, what he he ends up really ditching, I think, what makes the original feel so authentic. And I, I wish I had, a, I had a better vocabulary in, in as far as, you know, cinematography and shot composition to really explain this better, but it just felt so unexciting. It felt so bland. You know, you look at something, you know, you look at Beauty and the Beast, uh, you look at, um, not Dumbo, but Dumbo's Dumbo's worse than this, but you look at Beauty and the Beast or Cinderella or The Jungle Book, and I think what Favreau and Brana and... Um, who directed Beauty and the Beast? Uh, I know his name. Am I going to think of it before it comes up? Uh, nope. Bill Condon. What the three of those guys did in their versions of remakes uh, was either they rewrote the story a bit and, and adjusted things, um, or they they were able to give us the sort of majesty of what the animated films were able to do. So you look at Beauty and the Beast, you look at the ballroom dancing scene, and maybe it's not quite as magical in the live action movie as it was in the animated version, but it's still, you know, Condon knows how to shoot a musical. He's done that before. He, he understands, you know, how to make it feel, how to make the camera glide around the room and, and, and capture the sort of emotional components of the song and the lyrics, and he, he does that quite effectively in those moments. Uh, you know, Favreau, you know, he didn't really keep the musical elements from Jungle Book quite so much, but he has a, a way with the visual effects and, and the, the motion capture performances and um, working with uh, the kid who played Mowgli that... You know, he has that sort of human touch, and if you've seen many of his other movies, you kind of feel it, that he, he's very much close and personal with so many of those elements, and, and it really does shine through in The Jungle Book, and you know, so on and so forth. And I think Guy Ritchie, who has made some pretty good movies in the past, they're not family movies. <laughs> and there's a different approach to something like this that you really don't have. Uh, from Guy Ritchie, and he is very much, um, I think, still a lot of these segments, he's shooting them as if it was lock stock, if it, as if it was Snatch, and this is not that movie. It is a very different movie from that. He is working with special effects that he's never shown, um, that he he's never worked with before, uh, with you know how how much the genie and all the animals and the, the green screens and all that kind of stuff you know it's it's a lot more than I've ever seen that him work with, and I think it really just threw him off and and he could not recover from these these changes you know this shot the the film is shot so blandly and so straightforward you know it's not exciting uh, it's not it doesn't give you that magic. And this is, of all the, the Disney movies that we've had, this is the one that perhaps hinges the most on magic. And so if your director can't you know, bring out the magic in these moments, they're not, they're not the right person for the job. They're not doing the movie any favors, and they're not honoring the original version. 
So I, I don't I don't have a pick of who I would want to direct this. Uh, actually, I don't know who it would be, but Guy Ritchie is not the name that would come to mind uh, at all, at all. So, yeah, um, yeah. Now, good some good stuff. Some good stuff. Like I said, I, I still think this is a better movie than Dumbo, but the costumes are great. Costumes are great. There's so many great costumes in this movie, from everything that Jasmine and her handmaiden wear to the various robes and uh, elegant uh, 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 clothing from for Jafar to uh, the 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 scene where the genie is dressing Aladdin and giving him a very variety of of princely garb. Uh, there's a lot of great costumes in in this movie. There's also decent production. Uh, it's not great. Uh, I think the movie does rely quite a bit on green screen to its detriment. But there are some pretty good set pieces involved in the film uh, when it allows itself to to do that. And like I said, I, I think the songs are generally the best part of the movie. I think Friend Like Me is a lot of fun. I think Prince Ali is maybe the best scene in the movie. I think Will Smith manages to portray the genie with enough of an homage to, to Robin Williams while also giving it a little bit of his own flair. I won't say he takes the genie in a new direction because I don't think he does. Uh, he definitely is taking a lot of pages out of Williams' book. And I think you have to. I don't think he could have played the genie, you know, a com as a completely different character, and I, I think that would have gone over like a lead balloon, but he's able to take enough of what Williams had and then give it a little bit of a Will Smith twist, and I think that worked. That worked for me. Um, you know, the some of the song lyrics that he's he sings were given a little bit of a, an adjustment for Will Smith's sensibilities, and you know, to help add to the kind of flavor of his portrayal of the genie, and I appreciated that. I think that was a good call, just to help differentiate the two people a little bit more. Um, he gets his own kind of side plot. You know, he already had a decent character arc in the original animated film. They add another layer to it in this, and I was here for it. I really like his performance. I, I say he's definitely best in show in this movie, and it's not really close, to be honest. Um, outside of Genie, you've got all the animals, so um, you've got Abu, uh, Iago, who's voiced by um, Alan Tudyk, and you've got, uh, who is the, uh, what's the name of the tiger? Um, Jasmine's Tiger. Raja. And Raja. Apu, Raja, and Iago as the main animal uh, characters. They are disappointing. Apu has so much personality in the film, in the animated film. You know, he develops a relationship with Magic, with the carpet. Um, he is so close and he's so close to, to Aladdin, but he's also definitely like struggling against him. He definitely is very sassy and so on, and I think there's a lot of that missing from this movie, I think there's a lot of uh, layers and sides to these these animals that are completely gone in the shift from 
animated to live action, which is a very, very big shame. You know, Raja was kind of a sassy tiger, um, you know, lazy and, and just, uh, as far as I remember, you know, loyal to Jasmine, but also, you know, kind of uncaring unless Jasmine was in trouble. And we get so little from, from Raja in this movie. Uh, Iago, talking parrot uh, for Jafar, is probably the closest to the original. But, yeah, I mean, Alan Tudyk is great, and I, I think he's an incredible voice actor, and he's definitely, uh, you know, Gilbert Gottfrieding his voice up, but he's not Gilbert Gottfried. I think they wrote the character very differently and made it more like a real parrot instead of an animated, you know, magic parrot or whatever it was in the first one. It just doesn't feel as real. It doesn't feel as authentic. It doesn't feel as... I mean, I guess it feels too authentic, honestly, is the problem. It feels too much like a real parrot, and it shouldn't. Maybe that's weird, but like, it shouldn't. It should feel like a magical creature. So, um, Iago, right? Um, but yeah, like there are a lot of negatives to, to Aladdin, but I still, it, it, I mean, maybe it was the rock bottom expectations I had going in, but I was pleasantly surprised by the out, out outcome. I thought, like I said, Will Smith, best in show. Anytime he was on screen, I was on board. I thought he was very charismatic and, um, you know, really showed, it's really been a long time since we've had a Will Smith performance that was maybe not necessarily good, but but at least something that, I got more so meaning that, like, he's been good at, in recent years, but I think it's been a while since we've seen, like, true to form, you know, Will Smith hamming it up, being his colorful character, character self, and I, I liked that. I, I missed it, kind of. You know, he wasn't really that in, what was it, Bright? I think that was him. Uh, he wasn't that in Suicide Squad, really, for me. So this was a nice return form for him, and uh, hopefully it, it hopefully that can continue in, in Gemini Man, and we'll see. Um, so yeah, I think the movie is okay. It's okay. It, you know, the lowest level of okay. Uh, so I'm not sure. That's probably going to be like a high 40s score. I think Dumbo was in the mid 30s, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, but I am still... I fell so far behind logging things in my spreadsheet back when my computer broke. And I am still, still, still way far behind that. So I'm going to try and fix those. Catch up, you know, in the next couple of days and hopefully get back on track there. Uh, but yeah, I'm looking at like a high 40s, low 50 score at the moment. So we'll see how that ends up. Uh, other than that, um, tomorrow's episode, don't have a topic yet. It could be Brightburn. I'm seeing that today. And then Friday will be the last day of the month, and that will be the 2011 Circle of Film Awards. Big episode coming Friday. Uh, I'm excited for it. Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find me on Twitter at Circle of Film, Letterboxd at Circle of Films, and an email, circleoffilm at gmail.com. Go to the website, circleoffilm.com, uh, or support, rate, you know, like, review, subscribe to the show, wherever podcast you, uh, app you use, 
or head over to patreon.com slash circle film. You can subscribe for as little as eight cents an episode. Thank you for listening. And as always, have a week. So long, farewell, I'll be the same night. I know she'll never leave me, even as she fades from view. So long, farewell, I'll be the same night. Nothing's really left or lost without a trace. Nothing's gone forever, only out. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So long.